Uh, this morning I'm going to be talking to you about living lives of intentionality. <laughs> uh, so for any of you at the prayer meeting this morning, um, Steve didn't know this, and so as he was praying, he said, I, I really feel like God wants uh, the strange word in my, in my head, intentionality. And I think he wants us to respond with intentionality, not just to be hearers of the word, but to also be doers. So that's my prayer this morning for us as well. I'm not really an expert in intentionality. Um, I get it wrong more than I get it right. So I'll just say that up front. Um, a good example of this is recently, I thought it'd be really good uh, to read through the book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life with my kids. And I thought this is going to be cool. So I ordered three copies um, of this book and got a, a, a great price online. Uh, but when the book arrived, I, I noticed that... Um, some, something had gone wrong with it, and <laughs> uh, Terry, there you go. So, for those of you uh, <laughs> who are listening as well, um, I, I, what I've ended up buying is the miniature version, which is <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> so, I imagine that out there, there's really intentional people who have, you know, who vacuum their garages and have really lovely color-coded diaries. Um, I'm not great with that. Um, you cannot see the floor of my garage. Um, I'm in training wheels when it comes to living a life of intentionality. But I am learning and I have grown and so today I want to talk to you about that. Despite my failings, I'm in transition, I'm getting more sorted. And so right off the bat, intending to live for God is a different thing from living intentionally for God. And most of us will say, oh, I intend to live for God. There's a future intention there in our hearts. But how many of us have said, well, right when I get a few things more sorted, right when I have some more time, right when I've freed things up, right when I've finished this project at work, or when I have this promotion? But that's no way to live. To me, it feels like there's a deeper checklist that goes unchecked. Like there's a phone ringing in the background that we're never getting to, and a deeper yearning and a calling to a greater existence that we hear echoing in our hearts. But putting Jesus and his kingdom and the glory of God right at the center of our lives, that's the best decision you can make. Everything else is revealed in time as being futile. And here's some examples. Some of them are biblical and some of them aren't. Well, when I say not biblical, they're not from characters in the Bible. They're not anti-Bible. <laughs> so here we go. Solomon gained the greatest riches, relationships and successes in this world, yet he reflected that it was all meaningless, a chasing of the wind. Uh, so Josh, sorry, can we zip right back to the start? Yeah, second. Okay, next one. Okay. Oh, this is going to be all bang, so my apologies. Um, later, Augustine zeroes in on the epicenter of human identity. You have made us for yourself, but our heart is restless until it rests in you. And even in the last few years, actor Jim Carrey recently stated, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. <laughs> That's the wisdom of history speaking to us. Great biblical kings, great saints, and Ace Ventura pet detective. So it seems that at our very core, we're created to live a life that's centered around a bigger picture, a greater story, and a clearer vision of the kingdom of God. 
And this is the most fulfilling way that we can live. And I love how John Piper puts it. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. There is no conflict between your greatest exhilaration and God's greatest glorification. I'll say that last bit again. There's no conflict between your greatest exhilaration, your greatest thrill, and God's greatest glorification. And it's worth it. The times I've chosen Jesus intentionally laying out my life on his altar and giving time or finances or planning in his direction towards the direction of the kingdom of God, I do not regret it. So today, how do we do this? How do we get from intending to live for God to intentionally living for God? And so firstly, intimacy uh, is the key. Intentionality comes from our intimacy with God. Our purpose comes from his presence. So we are clear, just so we're clear about what I mean here, intentionality, that's the deliberate choices that we make around how we live to outwork our faith. And intimacy is the close, private, personal world that we have with God. It's this intimacy that leads to living with a clear identity and that provides the clarity to live a life of intentionality for God. I'm stoked with that. I've got three eyes in there. Intimacy, identity, intentionality. Thank you. I learned that from Rick Warren uh, in the book, The Purpose Driven Life. If anyone wants to buy a copy for me, they're going cheap. Many of us fly at this the other way, though, don't we? So we come at it hoping that our intense achievements and successes will somehow shape a, a sense of identity. Now, others can live a life of regret around past choices or experiences or events, and therefore we nope out of living out the calling God has for us. And so, guys, I want to say this. A life without intimacy with God leads to the pursuit of the wrong things. We can climb the, the ladder and then realize that it's leaning against the wrong tree. A life without intimacy leads to a lack of vision, a confusion around what story we're part of. It leads to a shaky sense of identity. You see, we live in a world that gives us real mixed messages about uh, ourselves. We're told to live our best lives and to be true to ourselves. This freaks me out, to be honest. Because the issue with it is whenever I look in my, ha- in my heart, there's like at least three of me in there. There's heaps, actually. Freud thought there were three. Uh, but other theorists have come up with even more. All I know, if I go ahead and listen to the wisdom of the day, be true to myself, it's super confusing and stressful. Because there's one Luke in there who wants to sit around, drink beer, pick my nose, be mean to people. Um, there's one in there that wants to do every sort of other activity, jam in all sorts of excite- excitement and great activities in sort of an attempt to do the best with my life. One in there wants to be acknowledged and acclaimed for wonderful things and have a a room full of people rise to their feet and applause for me. (laughs) And then there's this, this other Luke character who dreams sometimes of just escaping into obscurity, just taking a rod and a rifle, the pack on my back, just going lone, lone wolf out there in the wild. So if you tell me to be true to myself, you're going to freak me out. (laughs) The compass of my heart is spinning in all directions. 
I'm allured by all the marketing that sells me different Im- images of what my life could look like. It's so easy to, f- to lose sight of God's kingdom. And what settles me is the presence of God. It's a vulnerable and intimate place where my fractured soul makes sense. Because in that place, God identifies us. He speaks to us. He looks at our life and where others can only see dirt and weeds. He sees the pearl of greatest price. He calls me his son. Only God can answer the question, who am I? And that's a much, much, much more important question of what should I do? And so for the most part, David's life is an incredible story of a man who found his identity in the presence of God and lived intentionally from that place. Uh, In 1 Samuel 17, David versus Goliath. David overhears the bragging of Goliath, the stirs something in him. His identity in God is strong enough that he knows he has to do something about it. Strong enough that he ignores all the other voices and listens just to God. Because David knew God. He didn't hear what his rivals said. And they scoffed at him. He decided to fight Goliath anyway. And because David knew God, he didn't care what his friends and family told him when they said to, to be quiet. And because David knew God, he wasn't moved when his king said, don't do it, and then eventually said, no, do do it, but dress up like me. Because David knew God, he was okay just doing it in his own clothes. He was okay with just being himself. And because David knew God, he didn't care when his enemy, Goliath, looked at him and despised him, tried to tell him a different story. And because David knew God, just before he flung the most famous rock in history, he said these words, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. What confidence. What a wonderful picture. His heart prioritized God over every other thing. And see, we get insights into the life of David and the intimate personal world of Jesus that he had. We get to read his journal. And so in Psalm 27, he says this. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David's priority was to know God and to be known by him. And that was his one thing. It was the one thing that strengthened him to fight giants. It was the one thing that allowed him to rule nations. And that's the one thing that allows our days, our months, and our years to become a life of intention. And the choice is ours. How will we live? Do we live a life cluttered with small things, lots of the details that can get in the way and the distractions, or do we live a life of intentionality, a life lived for God? It's our choices, a life of intention, a life of distraction. The story of Mary and Martha like, helps shape this stark contrast for us as well. Martha's busy with the work. In verse 40, it describes her as being distracted. And Mary is seeking to sit at the feet of Jesus. But what I love about this is when Jesus lovingly speaks into Martha's heart. These are his words. And they're so kind. They're so full of kindness. 
My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. Man, this one cuts me. Because I like, I get busy, and I do stuff, and I get frustrated when people aren't. And so sometimes I too have moped and gone to Jesus and said, oh, it's annoying. Other people aren't doing stuff. And having Jesus say to our hearts, there's only one thing worth being concerned about is a pretty good reminder. Like David, Mary had found that one thing. Mary with her one thing or Martha being distracted. Again, a life of distraction or a life of intentionality. And as I've gone on as a Christian, it's occurred to me that, yes, Jesus saved me from distraction. But he also wants to save me from distraction. And what I mean by distraction is this. In my teenage years, I left the faith. I ignored God. And I hardened my heart and I chose my own way. But in quiet moments, I had to admit, I was a hot mess. Like I was angry, I was violent, and more and more I needed alcohol and drugs to try and find myself. I wasn't free to enjoy these things. I started to become a slave to these appetites. And I know I was actually, I was on a pathway to destruction. And so in my teens, I had, and I'm so thrilled, I had a a transforming encounter with Jesus. Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And these words were so important to me in the first days, in the weeks, in the years of being a Christian. And they're even more important to me now. Jesus is the only one who can save us from destruction. And so that idea of the image of being rescued from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, Man, that's amazing. And it fills my heart with wonder. It gives me this vision for a kingdom, for the kingdom of God. But I still need rescuing from distraction. I need to hold on to this vision of God's kingdom. I need to hear God identify me and to call me his own, to tell me me my story. Otherwise, the compass of my heart just spins and it can lose its way so easily. When our compass is out just a little bit, our final destination is going to be out by a lot. So how do we stop our hearts wandering to and fro and therefore our lives ending up in the wrong place? We fight distraction with intentional habits. That's right, church. You're listening to Bay Vineyard Greatest Hits. (laughs) It's habits that keeps the compass of our hearts set on the kingdom of God. And in this great book I'm reading, I uh, can't remember, by James K.A. Smith, maybe a love or something, um, he says this, learning to love takes practice. Love is a habit. It takes devotion. It means forming the sorts of habits that are going to go ahead and form us. And so these are, these are ancient Christian practices that channel our focus and devotion towards the kingdom vision that God puts in our hearts. And frees us from the distraction to take us off beam. Love takes practice, even in a marriage. Even when you're married to the greatest woman in all the land, love takes practice. Am I right, gentlemen? Am I right, wives? Yeah, so it takes practice. (laughs) It takes commitment. It takes priorities. And so 
Charlotte and me are working through this, and we're trying in our 20th year of marriage to have weekly practices or habits that remind us to prioritize each other, to save us from distractions. So in my weekly calendar, I, we have a date night on Friday. We try to do like silly little cryptic crossword things so that we're having fun together and learning to you know, just enjoy stuff so that life's not always intense. We, we Sabbath together. We have monthly things that we do together. We have termly things that we aim to do together. And I better sort this out for this year's 20th wedding anniversary. So on you know, big occasions, we, we make sure we're celebrating it. And my boys know this is not perfect. They know that the night before my wife's birthday recently, I was up making a card out of paper. What they don't know and what Charlotte doesn't know is that uh, to make my present look more impressive, I left the shower running so she thought I was in the shower, and I drove down to the mobile station, bought three bags of lollies to put in the bag so it buffed things up a little. (laughs) And and these are the things we do for love. Um, Love takes practice. And our rule of life and our Christian practices help us in this. And so I'm going to hit three things that have been transformative in my life. First is daily habits of spending time with God. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we craft habits that end up crafting us. And we have to become intentional about fostering these habits. In my daily habits, I journal. I'm learning to be more silent and shutting up so that God can still my heart and sift through what's there and that the thoughts and intents of my heart can be weighed and judged and gently brought to him. I read the scriptures, I meditate on those and I reflect on the areas that, where I might have hurt people or sinned or whatever. I remind myself again through thanksgiving of the part that I play in God's story and I say yes to God's invitation to his kingdom and to him. And if you can say yes to him, in the first part of your day, it means that you can say a hundred no's to the other distractions that come our way. I tell you this, my quiet times in the morning are seldom spectacular, but they're now consistent, and I look forward. Sorry, it's, uh, I'm a bit emotional here because... Um, I, re- I realised the other day that um, my holidays were finished as a school teacher and I was really looking forward to getting up real early to spend time with Jesus. And that's not right, guys. Hey, something's happened. And so something's changed. And so, but, but I'm, I'm just, how good is your faithfulness, oh God? Do you know what I mean? There's that sweetness that comes of knowing that no matter how you go, how much you plod with Jesus, there is always just the mercies of God every single day that there's that beautiful time and place with him. I mean, some of you guys are really confused now. (laughs) But the thought of getting up early to spend time with Jesus was like, I was like, yes, I'm so looking forward to this. Okay, and so in private prayer, we get a sense of who we get to be. 
it's not just sitting there sucking on a spiritual pacifier, right? We get a sense of who we get to be. And then we can see what we get to do, right? And that's cool. That thought terrifies the enemy. If you know who you are and know what you're called to do, like David, you're able to say, I come against you in the name of the Lord. There's a confidence. And I want to sort of use an analogy to help you with this. In sports, uh, players and coaches will talk about vision. And Lionel Messi and others, well, experienced players of football, are able to, to just see the most subtle movements and able to see what the ball's doing and what other players are doing and able to read the whole game. And so they're able to whip from, you know, somewhere in midfield a ball that just slices through the different paths and channels and play it onto the feet of their attacking player for a goal-scoring opportunity. This vision. And I believe that we get vision as Christians as we build our, our time in the presence of God. And the more I orient my heart towards, uh, towards him, the more I begin to take notice of the field of play around me. We get a player's vision. And the more I do that, the more my foot begins to twitch. You know what I mean? The more we begin to go, hang on, I can do this. Hang on, someone's got to do something. Hey, maybe it's me. And so I've loved, loved, loved watching different people go, you know what? I'm annoyed no one's doing this. And then the next stage is, hang on, maybe I could do this. I've loved listening in the last week to different people who are proposing ideas for running home churches. Like I love seeing people go, hey, there's something that could be done and I could do it. Ephesians says this, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so that means this, I'm God's workmanship. So in all my fabulous and in all my freaky, uh, I'm made by God. Yeah? And so it doesn't matter that I wasn't planned by my parents. I was planned by God. And if I was planned by heaven... Come on, Doug. If I was planned by heaven, no earthly birth control can stop me. Yeah? And sure, I may have come out a different make and model um, from everyone else. But in the great football field of God, I have a part to play. And what sets my foot twitching is going to be different from what sets your foot twitching. And so what part has God got for you to play? What sets your foot twitching? Well, has it been a while? And I say this with just as much compassion as I can muster. Has it been a while since you've cleared the space and got your heart oriented back to God and been able to see the vision of God's kingdom ahead of you? Another discipline or practice that has marked my life, that has changed me from, will change me into who I am today as church. So spiritually, Charlotte and I, I don't know what we would call it, raised our commitment to church, said yes fully to church about 10 years ago. And I think we'd just been spat out and burnt by church and hurt by people and then also been healed by church and accepted by church enough to know that out of all the institutions and organisations around, this was the one that was the hope of the world. And so we said yes. You know, previously we'd been cynical about the church and we'd been wanting to change the church and we'd be wanting to, we'd seen all sorts of different visions. I love this quote from Henry David Thoreau. 
The youth gets together his materials to build a bridge to the moon or a palace or temple. And at length, the the middle-aged man concludes to build a woodshed with them. (laughs) And so maybe in my late 30s, I decided that perhaps the great visions that I had to do amazing things, maybe that would never come to pass, but what I could do, I could... I could gather these materials, I could do what was happening in my local area, and I could really commit myself. And so for us, we set our sights simply on wanting to be part of and to build a really healthy church community. And so we went from being sort of twice a month um, churchgoers to just going every week. And it, it was like a, it wasn't a, hey, should we go this week type conversation. It was a, we're going to church this week, and if we were, you know, you know, if we, like, kids and family and throwing up and all of that would have kept us there, but, like, we would, we were on. And so it was seldom that we weren't there. And so this habit of being in community worship, of sitting under the Word of God, and of connecting with other people and his family, um, this began to shape and hold that true identity that God has for us. And we didn't realize, but this step meant that church became such a wonderful accelerant for God's kingdom work in our hearts. And from there, life really started to become exciting. As I said with this Ephesians verse, where God's workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God has prepared in advance. And one of the good works that God had in advance for the Buxtons was Bay Vineyard Church. It's you guys. Come on. And... And I believe God gave us a love for church, but our commitment to church cultivated this love. God also put a desire to serve Sam and me. And specifically, I remember the sense was to serve Sam's vision. And it's a weird and kind of unusual thing to sort of say that out loud in today's weird culture of saying, I am my own person and of intense individualism. But I, I really felt this. And Sam's got a clear vision of where he wants to go, and I want you to serve that. And so um, we had no idea that Sam's vision would lead us to Napier. Uh, When the opportunity arose, though, for planting a church here, so much time being transformed in the presence of God, being transformed by church, meant when Sam asked, the first thing I did was just Google fly fishing Napier uh, Hawks Bay, right? (laughs) And with the Tutokuri, the Mohaka, and other great rivers around here um, sorted, uh, I, I then concentrated on listening to God. <laughs> and the, the answer that I got from God was like, given as I stepped out over the pier uh, at New Brighton and looked at the surf. And God said, where do you want to be? Do you, you know, where do you want to be? Do you want to be, do you want to be mucking around in the shallows? Do you want to paddle out where there's no risk? Or do you want to be in the impact zone where there's, where there's risk, but where there's excitement and where there's thrill? And so, you know, we said, yeah, we wanted to be there. And saying yes to that great vision has meant we've said no to lots of other really good things. And at times there's been grief and sadness, but man, it's been worth it. Serving you has been worth it. And as we've um, gone on, we've seen families have babies, we've seen people baptised, we've seen lost people find Jesus, we've seen generational curses being changed, we've seen lukewarm people become red hot, 
We've seen marriages healed. We've seen friendships formed. It's been so worth it. And in my time here, what's continued to transform me is this third habit, which I'd call small communities of support and accountability. I can't probably overestimate how much the upper click groups meant to me, both in terms of uh, friendship, but also in terms of shared vision and being able to go, yep, we're on this same co-papa. And it's been beautiful. So at Bay Vineyard, we've got upper clicks, huddles, and home churches. And if you haven't signed up for one of these and it's the start of 2023, please talk to me or talk to Ryan or Jen or anyone else in the leadership team, particularly talk to June. Where is June? Sorry, June. Talk to June over there. She loves, just loves people coming to talk to her um, about church stuff. Um, um, oh, yeah. So having people ask me every week how my walk is going has brought focus on where I want my life to head. And do you know the beautiful thing about it? Like I said, you, you form these things, you invest in these things, and then they invest in rich, enrich your life. Ryan this morning, Ryan's in my huddle, just, he, he sent me a recorded three-minute voice message just saying, praying for you, thinking of you. Like, what a legend. What a kind thing to do. And that's because Ryan in my huddle, has, he, he's tracked with me. He knows what the loves of my heart are. He knows what matters to me. And he's able to ask me gently about those and challenge me about those. He's annoyingly committed to seeing people change and transform. <laughs> and so that's been so helpful for me. I want to say these, anything about any of these habits takes practice. Now, I mentioned Lionel Messi before. He's got this great line, and it's probably better than Rachel Hunter's line, um, which Sam always does. And <laughs> Messi, says, Messi says this. It took me 17 years and 114 days to become an overnight success. And I just love the fact that, man, it just takes practice after practice after practice. So God, uh, David spent years in the company of livestock, singing songs to God, but when his moment came, he had the vision and instinct to know what to do. So how are we doing? How clear is the vision of God's kingdom in your heart, and how clearly do you see your part in it? Do you have others in your life who will regularly ask and love and challenge you about walking this vision out? Because I know this, I'm, I'm his handiwork. In a small way, he's created me to be like himself. He's created me to do things, it said, to love things, to make things, to laugh at things, and to weep and get angry at other things. And that's going to be different for me than it is for you. And some of the stuff that sets my foot twitching and some of the stuff that sets your foot twitching will be entirely different. And so for me, I have um, a real passion for men's ministry. I watch movies and I, I get angry when I see um, fathers being idiots. And I get absolutely, like I cry like a baby when I see beautiful moments of reconciliation between fathers and sons. Or I see men stepping up and, and leading well. I, I love that stuff. I get moved by it. And so bit by bit, I feel like as I see that as being part of God's vision for me, I've stepped that into action. That's what the Father's Collective's been about. 
But I love that in my huddles and in my upper click, I've got guys who are asking me about that stuff and respect that stuff in me and see that stuff in me. Because, man, it's not like my workplace will. You know what I mean? It's not like uh, others in my life will. And so it's so incredible to just have that, uh, to have those people who are going to honour the gift that's in your life, respect the, the role that you have, and remind you of your story. They help in our fight against distraction. And so today, uh, as Steve said at the beginning of the service, the Lord is inviting us to be clear about living with intention. And he's inviting us all to hear this word and to do it, to step out. And I don't know what the next step for you is. But two weeks ago, Sam challenged us with rule of life. And last week, people jumped up and shared about how God had worked changes through them, through these various habits. And this week, I'm banging the same drum. I'm saying let's live lives of intentionality, sharing a vision for God's kingdom. I'm saying let's do that through prayer. Let's do that through small community groups. Let's do that through our uh, commitments to church. And I want to pray for these people. Um, so it'd just be awesome if, uh, where's the music guy, Matt? That's his name. There you are, Matt. Do you want to come in? Oh, you're on bass, eh? Jen, do you want to tinkle Jen? Wrong word. All right. Tinkle the ivories, is that what you say? Back on me, guys. Focus, please. So, um, yeah, yeah. So I feel God is challenging us. I feel he's challenging us to live lives of intentionality and asking us to, um, to not just hear but to also do. Because I know this, each of you, God has got this beautiful vision of your life in him and where he wants you to step. And, and for all of us, I know that you have, like me, the same temptation for your hearts to be pulled and allured away to all sorts of different things. The compass of our heart. Let's pray this morning. Let's stand, guys. Let's pray that the compass of our heart is able to point in that direction.